Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Legendary Leaders, the podcast. I'm very happy that you are all here with me. And of course, I brought another guest on today. It's Jessica Pronsert. She's an executive coach, a change management consultant and speaker. And in her role, she is changing the way leaders think by unlocking how they view challenges, while also giving them the tools to successfully navigate change, both personally and professionally. And for those of you who have listened to the show frequently or have been even listening to all the shows we have recorded so far, you know my thought pattern about your life. Work is a big part of your life that isn't just a focus on how you lead at work and how you lead in your personal life. It has an impact on one another. So let's consider here your entire life as well. It is wonderful to talk about a topic called vertical leadership development, which actually comes from psychology. So there it would be called vertical development. However, Jessica applies it to leadership in particular. And that has been a game changer for organizations and teams. It's a cutting edge approach that combines leadership development with change management to exponentially increase effectiveness resulting in real change inside an organization to eventually up-level the structure and functionality of the organization and to develop the capacity, not just the skills leaders need to be personally and professionally successful in the face of ever-increasing change and complexity. And that's what the pandemic in particular brought. And as we know, There are constant changes in our world happening, constant challenges that we may not have predicted before. So how to deal with it and how to even change our mindsets towards approaching challenges as a really positive challenge. I can learn through this. How can I find solutions and how can I have the most positive impact on me as a person and the world around me. So that is just one of the many topics we are discussing here together with Jessica today. She brings so many new insights, explains and gives us a deeper dive into vertical development, the different stages of it, how we know where we are and where we want to go and how to make this the most, and I mean in a positive sense, most powerful experience for each and every one of you. So do enjoy this episode. As always, I can't wait to hear your feedback afterwards. And I speak to you again in a moment. Oh, hello, hello, hello. Today with me, the fabulous Jessica Pronsert. I'm so happy you're here with us. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kathleen. I'm glad to be here. And where are you darling and from today? I am in Charlotte, North Carolina in the United States. Uh, here we go. Let's talk about leadership in the United States, but also leadership that you observe really on a global basis, the trends, what's needed in the leadership space today, how the pandemic has changed the leadership space as well. And before we do that, let's talk about you. I'm curious to hear more about you, what you're doing, how you are serving the people around you. So let's start perhaps with a short intro, shall we? Yeah, of course. So I am the owner and founder of the Sparks Group. Uh, we are an executive coaching, leadership development and change management firm. 
Um, I have about a dozen years of experience in large Fortune 50 companies in the United States uh, with an MBA and a background in human resources. And uh, at some point along the way, my career took not necessarily a left turn, but maybe a deepening turn into the leadership and change space in particular, you know, within the field of human resources. And that was the first time in my career that I thought, oh, I really, this is really great. I really like these things as opposed to saying, okay, I can do this and, you know, what's next? (laughs) I found that I really like it when it's messy. I like it when it's changing. I like it when it's difficult. And so what what I would tell you my expertise really is, is understanding the human and organizational dynamics of change Mm -hmm. and the way that I and we at the Sparks Group deliver that into organizations is through coaching and through training and through facilitation and through consulting. The modality doesn't really matter, but that's what we know. And uh, we're keenly interested in how adults grow and change and what that looks like and how to help architect that and support it in service of organizational outcomes. Yeah. And you, I would say, do it in a very unique way. And I think when we got to know each other, I said to you, I like to have guests who have a bit of a unique story or tool to share. And you do indeed have that. And we get back to that. I park it here for one moment. Um, Because you said, I love the messiness of leadership. And yeah, I'm just really interested in your perspective, what makes it so beautifully messy. Mm. Well, I think what attracted me to the field of human resources in the beginning was the humans, right? And so I always joke, you talk to HR practitioners, and one of the things that people will say is, I I love people. I'm in this field because I love people. And I would say that... Uh, that can't be right. <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not paying attention. I, uh, yes, it is lovely to love people. And that is certainly can be a byproduct of what we do. And people are fascinating and complicated and contradictory and human. And that to me is what makes the work interesting is that there is no, there is no solving the problem, the, the, the dynamics, the polarities, the challenges don't ever truly get solved and go away. New ones will emerge or the, the, the context and tone of them will shift. The context that we're working in will change. You know, it might be the, the, the same leader, but their context has changed. And so the, the issues are all new again. And so I, I like the um, maybe messy is an easier word, but the intractability of it almost, right? That in some ways the work, the work never ends and it's always fascinating. Oh, I I think exactly the same. And my background is in in HR and L and D as well. And it's it's just brilliant. And it it required on my end a bit of a mindset shift because I was working through challenge after challenge. I'm like, oh, that's done now. And the next one emerged, and I was like, oh no! Instead of okay, you know, let's have a look at this challenge. Let's see what we can do with it, with it and what I can learn along the way as well. And Well, and the world is getting more complex and the rate of change in the world continues to increase. You know, that that's well documented. And the pandemic has been an accelerator in many ways for most people in terms of being invited to grow yeah. and meet the demands of this new world that we're living in. And, and now as things are sort of lessening, you know, <laughs> depending on when someone listens to this, they'll have a whole perspective on, on where, where we are with the story around the pandemic. But we're sort of trying to take stock of everything that has shifted and what the implications of all of that have been and, and continue to be, obviously. But the demands on us or the invitation to rise higher to meet those demands is very present, very present. Absolutely. And quite often I'm being told, oh, can we not stop talking about the pandemic and the impact it has had? And like, of course we can. However, if we go as human beings through trauma, for example, just suppressing it, pushing it to the side, doesn't help us deal with it, work through it, see opportunities as well and learn from it. And it's exactly the same with the pandemic. It has been more than two and a half years now and it hasn't disappeared. It's there. We are just dealing differently with it now, having learned what we have learned. So therefore, just removing it from our conversations, from my perspective, doesn't help. 
it's more about, okay, so what are we going to do with those new insights now? How can we support people differently through what you've just described, this pace, the increased complexity as well? And, and I think that's very important. So it would be great to hear a little bit more about you and not just what you are noticing in the organizations you're working with and the executive leaders you're partnering, but also what is it they truly need? What helps them most at the moment? Well, to build on what you were just saying about the pandemic and trauma, I would argue that the pandemic has caused a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. Like they, those two things essentially are one in the same, but it's like having been a frog in the pot where the water's been turned up and the water's been turned up and, and many people haven't realized it. And there are a number of people out there talking about the, the PTSD um, and the trauma that has come out of the pandemic. So I think we just call that, you know, what it is, but, but leaders in general and organizations, it's funny, you're probably experiencing this well in your work. A lot of my clients and our clients are saying, is anybody else feeling this malaise, this, this difficulty being engaged, this sort of draft, it feels like there's friction in the system and and it's a little bit difficult to identify where it's coming from and why it's happening is sort of the overall tone that I'm feeling in the marketplace right now. And in general, it is more complex out there. Organizations are struggling with hybrid, you know, what do we, what do, we do about where we work? What do we do about engagement and morale? What do we do about health and safety? What do we do about the great resignation or the great reset, depending on what you want to call it. What do we do about the shift in power from employers to employees? There are many, many, many big issues on the table for leaders and organizations. And everyone seems to be in a somewhat, you know, their own individual place in terms of dealing with that organizations that have been a little bit more flexible and a little bit more progressive, I think, are finding it easier to kind of come around on those things. And some organizations that have really benefited from more traditional ways of working are trying to figure out how to keep the best of that while accommodating what people really want or, or need at this point. So one of the things that I end up saying to leaders a lot of the time is, well, no, no one said this would be easy. Like that wasn't part of the promise of leadership. We hope that, that you feel you're having an impact and we want you to have some level of joy and ease in your own life, right? We don't want anyone to be miserable, but uh, this leadership stuff is, uh, we don't use necessarily smiles to measure it. <laughs> Much to our chagrin, right? Much to our chagrin. Um, I, I read on your website, on the Sparks Group's website, quite a bit about two words, capacity and skills, particularly when it comes to leadership. What do you think are those skills and I would add to it behaviors that are required now more than ever, given what you have just described. Yeah. Well, let me explain a little bit about that distinction that I think is so interesting and important. Traditional ways of developing leaders has focused, um, this I think is really since like the 1950s is when the idea of a competency was named, like it, this is a competency that has knowledge, skills, and abilities that make this thing up that you're able to do. Um, and that has really been, that idea of skills and competencies has really been the foundation of most leadership development, development efforts um, yeah. in modern organizations since then. And that has been necessary, right? It has been very valuable to deconstruct work down to a skill and competency level to understand what's required to do the job. But the analogy is, or the limitation of that model is that that's like adding apps to a phone. This is an analogy from Bob Anderson and Bill Adams in their book, Mastering Leadership. It's like adding apps to a phone where the operating system is eventually going to get outdated if you don't pay some attention to that. And so this idea of capacity is akin to upgrading the operating system on the phone. So what do we need? We need both of those things, right? If we're going to have a functioning human being, a functioning leader, a functioning a smartphone, we need apps that can do things and we need an operating system that can run those apps in the yeah. most efficient way, right? Yeah. So historically, leadership development has just been focused on adding apps to the phone and there hasn't really been much of a focus on the operating 
system of human beings. And so capacity is, is sort of a nod to that. Uh, the, the formal field of, of study is called vertical development or adult development. And that is the psychological model or models, there are you know, different thinkers in the space, of how adults mature and grow, I would say over time, but it's a little bit different than for children where it's sort of automatic. Adult development is a little bit more optional um, or it, 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 can, it can stop at certain points and under certain conditions it can continue, but it's not as automatic as, as it is for children. So at a high level, we see, and what we're finding, let me back up and say the reason that this is interesting and relevant is that when you bring vertical development into organizations, it really is a driver for leadership effectiveness and business outcomes. And that's what's really kind of new and cool and interesting about this work is that we're finding that it has a lot of value and a lot of meaning inside organizational life. And now we are getting to the meaty stuff. And since our initial <laughs> conversation, I read quite a bit about vertical development, find it fascinating and paid even more attention to my son's development. <laughs> I caught your attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I should pay attention. And difference to um, grown-ups development, in particular in times of a pandemic. Because what you are described, and I would add to it the fatigue the standstill, stuck, feeling stuck in the rut is a lot of what the ladies I'm working with um, share with me. Lack of confidence, not quite knowing where to go, where you need a different drive, ambition, vision, all the things that may play a role to get you motivated to do something. By with children, it's an automated process, right? You have different stages of development um, right away until a certain age, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, but to cut a long story short, you mentioned the benefits, the results, right? In particular, the business results. And I think that is something that we really need to highlight more to Mm -hmm. make sure this isn't a fluffy leadership development um, initiative that's Mm -hmm. being suggested Mm -hmm. here. That's actually something Mm -hmm. that's valuable, that's necessary for many, many reasons. So if you could give us just a few very tangible benefits that we can share with the audience, that would be brilliant. Yeah, there's... um... Uh, so there's research out there that demonstrates this correlation and and really highlights the strengths and limitations of this of each stage of, of development. And we do have an idea now of what stage of adult development really is most helpful for achieving and sustaining transformational change. Now that is a really high bar achieving and sustaining transformational change. Not everybody wants to sign up for that, but our organizations in general being asked to do that more and more in our fast-paced, more complex world, yes. So from a leadership perspective, there's an imperative to develop more leaders with this capacity to be able to deliver those kinds of results. There's a book called Upgrade by Richard Boston and Karen Ellis that describes what the capacities are what the skills are that are associated with vertical development that really resonates with me and has really resonated with a lot of clients. So let me, let me name those. The ability to see and navigate complexity. So can I understand how my actions, my decisions are going to look, feel, impact things downstream, two, three, four, five steps, what's going to happen next? Do I understand where I sit is inside a system, is inside a system, is inside a system, right? So we have these systems that are nested. My team is inside a department, maybe. My department is inside a function. My function is inside a company. My company is inside an industry. My industry is inside uh, an economy, inside a country, inside a world, right? You can just continue to, to go up and up. And so seeing and navigating complexity is, can I start to see that bigger picture and make decisions make moves from that expanded perspective of, of, of considering those, those things. That's a big one. Can I take multiple perspectives? So can I really step into somebody else's shoes and understand how they're looking at something, how they're thinking about something? Easy to explain, difficult to do. <laughs> I think both um, so far don't yeah, sound easy. Yeah. yeah. 
self-reflecting and adjusting. So can I be aware of my own thinking and my own behavior? Can I put a little bit of space in between my own thinking and behavior so that I can look at it and examine it and have a perspective on my own thinking and behavior? And can I then make some adjustments based on what I'm noticing? Can I adjust my thinking and my behavior increasingly in real time to be more effective? And then the last one is uh, being able to hold opposing ideas simultaneously. And that you don't have to look much further than our highly political societies that we're living in these days to kind of get a feel for uh, these really intractable issues that we're dealing with where there are two really valid ideas that are in conflict with each other and both are in many ways true at the same time, right? So when we are developing more capacity or more vertical development, we're able to see and appreciate that there is value and truth in both sides and that it's not either or, right? That both of these things can be true simultaneously. So the words that come up for me right away and actually the feelings that come up for me right away are emotional regulation. So being able, for example, to hold those opposing ideas simultaneously being able to navigate complexity, which for some people means quite a bit of tension, perhaps even stress, right? High emotions, taking multiple perspectives. Again, being able to remain calm and cool and have this active listening approach rather than a judgment approach, for me, immediately requires emotional regulation and a point you mentioned, self-awareness as well. Not easy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this fast-paced world and complex world. So what is it you practically do to support leaders to become better at it or, or even build the capacity yeah. and the skills? Yeah, and so part of, of helping people grow vertically and begin to, to develop these upgrades or these capacities that I just described is calibrating the level of overwhelm that somebody's having. And overwhelm is probably not the right word at this point, but like we need people to, Robert Keegan calls it, getting in over their head. We need, and we all have been in over our heads through the pandemic. It's probably one of the best examples of collective in over our heads that we have in recent history. Ideally, that would be appropriate, not too much, not too little, but sort of an appropriate challenge, if you will. Now, we haven't been able to control the level of challenge around the pandemic, right? You know, a lot of things, they just happen and they come. And But if we're able to have some choice over it, for example, taking a new assignment at work or applying for a new job or whatever, the multitude of things that, that happen in the work environment, we can try to calibrate the level of heat or challenge that we're going to experience that is going to provide the opportunity for us to practice seeing complexity, practice taking multiple perspectives, so on and so forth. From a coaching perspective, those things lend themselves to really great questions. Gee, you're talking about a really difficult interaction with your boss. What do you think they're saying about this situation? If you step into their shoes and tell this story of this issue from their side, what does that story look like? And how is that the same or different than your story? What do you notice about your own thinking around this situation? What do you notice about your behavior? What are the downstream I asked a I asked a leader yesterday. I said, "What if you make this decision, this big decision you're considering? What are the next five things that are going to happen after that? Either that you need to do, or in terms of how people are going to respond?" And he kind of, "Oh, I don't know. What that me, far? Well, let me think about that for a minute." And he got about three steps down, and he's like, "Uh, what? Uh, okay, I'm not sure. What's next?" Mm-hmm. So you can play when you have an idea of uh, or a basic understanding of how people grow vertically, you can begin to, and you understand what those state, we haven't even talked about the stages yet, but when you start to understand the stages of vertical development and and have a, a basic understanding of how that develops and grows over time, you can start to probe around the edges of that with clients to, to support them growing support the challenges that are going to help them move into those things. Yeah. And I, and I love that you have a very flexible approach. So really looking at the needs of the client, where they are and meet them where they are and then walk this path together. Well, that's one of the things I'm so glad you pointed that out because that's 
one of the reasons that I love this work so much and that this work resonates with me is that vertical development is a roadmap for human development. And when you understand the map and you have a gentle hypothesis or even a diagnostic of where somebody is, you have really good evidence of how to support them because you know what the strengths and the limitations are of where they are now, and you know what it will look like for them to grow to the next stage. So from a helping, from a coaching, helping perspective, if you're a leader coaching an employee, for example, and you understand this, the levers to pull become much clearer, much clearer. And this is where I think there's a huge advantage to this over skills and competencies is that we don't really often have a good gauge of like, what does it look like when I'm done developing this? Or what does it look like when, I, when I'm doing it well? I, you're just telling me that I need to work on it, but what does success actually look like? In vertical development, we know, because that's the next stage. <laughs> so, and, and, and you talk about human development. I'm just trying to remember all those capability frameworks, right, for, uh, that we developed in organizations I worked in. Competency models, right? Yeah, they had their justification at that point of time, but the world has changed, right? And and requires now different methods and understanding. And it's it's exactly the same with regards to jobs. They worked parallel to good old job descriptions, for example. This is what you do in your role. Nowadays, far more agile, far more fluid jobs and requirements on your role change. And you as an individual contributor, as a junior manager, as a senior manager, it doesn't matter. You own your role and your scope and the responsibility in a certain framework, obviously, but it isn't just black and white. And this is what you do and everything else that's not on this piece of paper you should not do. You've got to adopt and to change. So therefore, helping you be the best human you can be along that path that feels more confident can make those individual decisions that have a positive impact on the world around you. That's crucial, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And so I wouldn't say, I want to add one thing onto that. I think competency models can still have a place, especially earlier in our careers, where we are still building the skills and competencies to do the work of our career. Where that approach begins to be limited is later in our careers as we begin to climb the leadership ladder because we kind of know the basic blocking and tackling of how to do the thing that we're doing. Yeah. That and as we move up and things, this is when the complexity comes and more stakeholders come and our actions are more impactful. Um, and have more ripple effects. So our our ability to self-reflect and make adjustments becomes more important. And the challenges are not problems to be solved, but they're dilemmas that have to be managed. And so the vertical development approach, it is useful all along the path, but it is going to have more utility after we kind of have that foundation of skills and competencies. So I don't, I don't want to totally throw competency models under the bus. They certainly are well embedded in many, many organizations and many organizations are still developing them when they have needs around that space. I would advocate kind of a both and approach, right? That it, I think there's a lot of value in both and it's sort of knowing when you're, when one is going to be more helpful than the other. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. And one piece I've just made note of because it sounded amazing. It's not about problems that need to be solved. It's dilemmas to be managed. Again, you remove the judgment right away, right? You talk about active management, taking whatever the dilemma is into your own hands, seek for support. It makes it already feel less overwhelming, more manageable, breaking it down into small steps instead of seeing ourselves, our role, the job we are doing as a problem. Um, so thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm going to steal that and use it going forward. <laughs> yeah, well, that speaks to a whole nother area of opportunity in this space, which is a polarity management or working with polarities, which is kind of this idea of opposing but interdependent concepts that we need both of. So that the most basic example, and it's a little bit silly because it's biology, but inhaling and exhaling. 
we need both, right? But they're they're the they're kind of the opposite of each other. Um, and you can't do too much inhaling, and you can't do too much exhaling. You would you know you would die, right? But sort of centralizing and decentralizing, work and life, right? Yeah, it's sort of these. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So introverts and extroverts. Um, right. Absolutely. And you mentioned one benefit so far, one of the key business benefits of vertical leadership. What are other key benefits? So if you work, for example, with a whole group of execs over a certain period of time, what is it they are noticing? What has changed in their organization? How do they navigate complexity differently, perhaps? Well, so one of the other principles in this space, and I don't know who to give credit to for this one, uh, so apologies, but it's sort of a common understanding is that the organization is not going to function at a level of development higher than the executive team or even the CEO as an individual. And so the benefit of doing this work with leadership teams inside organizations is that if you can raise the consciousness, raise the level of development, raise the maturity of the leaders at the top, you are impacting the entire system because the organization then is going to have more capacity. That is going to pull the whole organization forward to a place of more capacity. And the organization, pre presuming that the level of change and complexity is present in just about every organization that we might come across, that organization is going to be better equipped to not only meet the challenges that they're facing, but actually take advantage of them, turn them into benefits for whatever, whatever their work is going to be. That's the real reason that we want to do this is that we want to see the trans, we want to see the work translate into better leadership effectiveness and then better outcomes for the, for whatever the business is trying to achieve. Below that, if we sort of click down a level or two, one of the other benefits that I really like from a, from a, a development perspective is that once people start to understand this framework, they too can do the light diagnosis of helping understand where somebody is and what is going to be most helpful to help that person grow and develop themselves. So using this as a light, as sort of a, a framework in the background for coaching and development purposes, it can, of course, you can take, have that be very formal and do assessments and have it, you can do development programs explicitly around this work. You can have it be a theoretical underpinning to your work. You can just coach from this. Of course, there's, you know, all different ways that it can be integrated, but having this as a primary philosophical backdrop to any of the work that you're doing in an organization is going to yield, uh, yield benefit um, in that way. And it can be integrated to anything that is already there, right? Most of what, if there, if there already are things in an organization, they're primarily going to be skill and competency focused, right? Just because that's, that's where we've been historically. But it's not too hard to integrate a vertical development lens into existing, existing work inside an organization. And that can be a really lovely, lovely place to start. But it changes, the it changes the conversation around what good leadership looks like. It changes the conversation around what it means to grow and develop. It, to me, into a, a conversation that makes a lot more sense. This story of how people grow and develop makes a lot of sense to me. And I have personally found a lot of value out of it, which is why I've pursued it as an area of interest. So to me, it just makes the space make more sense and make it easier to do the work. You mentioned yourself right uh, right away in terms of you gained a lot of value out of it. And obviously, you've had your personal leadership story as well from leaving the corporate world, making this choice. I think you went into uh, running your own business when you were pregnant, if I understood that correctly. I had my first experience with a coach when I was pregnant. So that's kind of an interesting story. I um, had relocated to the Charlotte area to take a job with an employer here and had signed a relocation agreement. So I was committed for a period of time and my leadership changed out pretty shortly after I arrived and it wasn't as good of a fit as it had been when I accepted the role. Mm -hmm. And I was struggling because I didn't have a lot of, you know, I, I had signed a reload agreement. So unless I wanted to pay back all of that money, I needed to stick it out. I was off 
for coaching at that juncture. The woman actually who I replaced, who I had trained with for a couple of weeks, went to a very prestigious coaching program in California called New Ventures West. And she needed a practice. She needed practice clients, as all of us do when we're learning to be coaches. We yeah. practice on folks with folks. And I jumped at the opportunity to be coached by her. And that experience was remarkable for me. First of all, it introduced me to this discipline that I would eventually choose to pursue, but it provided a safe place for me to bring my frustrations and work through them in a productive way so that I wasn't bringing that into the work at work. And I was able to think about how to navigate through the situation that I had become unhappy with. And the outcome was really terrific. I was pregnant. I was able to apply for a promotion. Promotional role became available, which I applied for. And not only was I able to, to land that role, but I also negotiated a part-time arrangement for after I returned from maternity leave. I'll never remember being, you know, what, basically nine months pregnant and going to interview and thinking, everybody here knows I'm pregnant and there's no way they're going to give me this job when I'm going to be out for three or four, you know, yeah. three months or whatever. And I really thought to myself afterwards, that's really remarkable how having that grounding influence and that neutral third party space to hold me accountable for my own attitude and my mm -hmm. own behaviors in that situation, but also to help me strategize and navigate through. I never would have imagined that I would have achieved that outcome. Um, and so I really credit that coach and that experience for so many things, but helping me navigate a really difficult, you know, period in my own work life to great, you know, really fabulous outcome for me. Yeah, definitely. And you returned part-time, actually a topic I didn't have on my list, but let's make it a topic for this show. <laughs> uh, something I'm, I keep hearing in particular from, this, uh, from people in the US lately that it's still not common necessarily for women and men to work part-time if you want to grow and be promoted and step into the next level up role. So how, how was the experience for you? What made you successful? What did you need to pay attention to? And how did you manage to land a part-time role right at the beginning? That's a really good question. I would agree with your assessment that in the States, it is not very common to people to, to be able to work part-time and still grow in their careers. There is sort of an implicit assumption that if you choose to be part-time, you are, I, I think you're still working, but that you are foregoing growth opportunities, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real shame. And I did experience that myself, not in that particular instance, of course, that I just shared where the opposite happened, but in other situations along the way, I absolutely did experience that unfortunate reality of assuming that my value had diminished just because I wanted to to work less. I think it depends a lot on the organization. It is changing rapidly again as as the the balance of power shifts from employers to employees. Mm -hmm. But this is something I think that a lot of people wrestle with when they want to have more balance or they want to have more time with their kids or they they just want to slow down the work for a little while. They do really worry about the price they're going to pay for that. Yeah. So I you know, it's highly individual. I will often do a lot of work around values with folks. And sometimes there's a developmental transition that's going on that is bringing this issue to the fore anyway, where people are wanting to reorient around the value of work in their lives to begin with, right? That, that may be in some cases why this, why this friction is coming up to begin with, right? Is that people are growing and changing. And so they want life to look a little bit different as a result of that. So doing values work often is a way to help clarify like what's really important to you now, maybe what was important to you before, and what would it look like to align your life in accordance with your values in a, in a more consistent way? Yeah, that's a big, that's big. I uh, uh, did some work for a large firm that offered uh, coaching to new parents and was in this dialogue quite a bit with, with new parents in particular, often it comes up or of course around having kids. So yeah. I don't know why, but in the last week or so, maybe maybe 10 days, I heard it three times where um, women in leadership actually said to me, I have gone down to three or four days a week. I was really grateful for the opportunity. But then I noticed I still worked the hours of five days. So it wasn't a true three or four days a week. 
Right. And in the end, I decided to go up with my hours again, because at least Mm -hmm. then I'm being paid for it. Yep. The original goal is you just said, why are you doing this? What are your values? What matters to you now? Um, uh, Were questions we explored as well. Um, Just to take the pressure off to be in this conflict in between. Do I need to pretend that I want to do more work and work more hours in order to progress? Or am I just going to be open that I have different priorities, that I love my work? However, I also love being with my children. Um, mm-hmm. How am I going to be real and communicate? Mm-hmm. And those were, in the end, the big conversations. Am I yes. just getting in my own way? So there wasn't this level of safety where there was an exploration with those individuals about right. What's really important to you and how can we get the best out of you at work? If we removed all the, this is what you need to do to step up equation yeah. Yeah. and just yeah. look at the here and now, yep. th- there wasn't any of that. So well, there was the this other, inner dialogue. Happening. Yes. The other thing that I think happens is that a lot of people think if I, once I make the decision to go part-time, I've made the big decision mm-hmm. and then I don't have to make any hard decisions again. But the reality is, is that you do then have to be very disciplined about your boundaries, about saying no, and you are basically signing up for making that decision over and over and over again as you play it out day by day. And I think a lot of people opt into that and don't realize that people will just continue to give them work and have expectations of them that unless they proactively manage those things and develop some muscles around managing that, that they are going to be paid whatever half or 80% or whatever it is and still be working all the hours. So, you know, that's another really interesting angle to that whole situation, I think, is um, what are the skills or capacities that you need to bring this lifestyle, this choice to life day in and day out once you've made the decision? That's just the beginning, right? But the whole world is not just going to automatically be like, oh, it's, you know, whatever, three o'clock on Tuesday, I can't call Kathleen anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's got to be managed to communicate it. Absolutely. But coming back to you, you left the corporate world in 2015, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So seven years later, Mm -hmm. here you are having built a successful organization and you said um, vertical leadership played a role for you and your growth and development as well. How how did it play a role for you, you know, all along this journey of the last few years? Yeah, so I did my coach training at Georgetown in 2014, and that's when I was introduced to vertical development. I took an assessment as part of the curriculum there called the Maturity Assessment Profile, which shows you where your center of gravity is, where are you making meaning from, what stage are you in most of the time, where are you most comfortable, and what is the range of stages that you are currently accessing, right? So we're not just in one place all the time. Uh, We can certainly go back, right, to everything that has come before, and occasionally we can reach forward to to a more advanced stage. I was Uh, Again, at another point in my career where I was feeling unsettled and unsure and was exploring coaching potentially as a profession. And so that's why I was at Georgetown. And my assessment results on the map came back and said, you're either perfectly situated for where you are and you should just lean in or you're really, really stuck and unhappy and you need to do some work to move. We're not sure which of these narratives is right for you, but you'll probably know immediately. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, (laughs) I was like, oh. So I found it hugely validating that my discomfort, my misery, maybe even was normal for where I was developmentally. So that that in and of itself just made things easier. Like this is typical for this stage of development here. And then what, again, because it is a roadmap of sorts, here are key things that you can do to help support yourself moving through this with less angst or less friction. And so it just was such a valuable, the frame being introduced to the framework was so helpful. Understanding where I was on the human development journey was so helpful. Understanding what I could do to help myself 
was so helpful. Being able to bring that into my own coaching, the coaching I was receiving from uh, my coach at that time was so, because then my coach could support me from a developmental point of view. Uh, It really was revolutionary for me in terms of shifting my thinking and supporting me moving through. And actually what happened, interestingly, is that that did kind of uh, probably wasn't just the assessment. I was probably really right on the cusp of a, of a lot of developmental growth is that it can take a while to grow, right? We often say a year to two years, two to three years, sometimes even longer in, in these stages. I ended up moving, I took the assessment again in 2016 and had moved two whole developmental stages forward. And so it, I think my entire experience kind of unleashed this phase of growth that was super helpful and important to me at that particular point in my life. So you, you mentioned those stages now a few times. And yeah. I remember from our initial conversation, you're like, there are so many stages. So can you give us a brief overview of at least some of the stages? Yeah, yeah. let me talk through these relatively quickly. So, and I'll try and give you a sense of about how much of the adult population is in each of these mm-hmm. stages. So the very first stage, the kind of coming out of young, young childhood into young adulthood, can be called, and there are different stage names depending on the model. So um, you'll hear me throw all kinds of labels around that come from different different people. Credit should go to, let me just name some of the people, um, Bill Joyner, Suzanne Cook-Reuter, Bina Sharma, David Rook, Robert Torbert, uh, Robert Keegan, Jennifer Garvey-Berger. These are, so just so, you know, people can get a sense of where, who some of the thinkers are that I enjoy and draw from. So first stage, not very many adults are in this stage, can be called opportunist. It's where I'm very interested in my own needs. Anyone who's parenting a teenager is probably familiar with this stage. I really am wanting to get my needs met at all costs. And so I'm not very cognizant of other people and their thoughts and feelings and needs. This is a tiny, tiny, I think less 1% or less of the adult population. Not very many at all. Most Most adults have moved through this. Next stage can be called diplomat or group centric or conformer. This is about 10% of the adult population. This is where my identity is really formed by being a part of the group and affiliation. And so I don't have a lot of my own opinions strongly held. Um, I really am adopting the point of view of either the group leader or the group itself. Uh, the mafia is, you know, would be a good example of this, right, where it's all about affiliation. I think this is why, at least in the United States and maybe for other sports around the world, why we enjoy professional sports affiliations, Mm -hmm. because it makes us feel like we're part of something and Mm -hmm. my team's better than your team. So (laughs) it's very much like a loyalty-based us versus them kind of way of thinking. I am interested in maintaining my relationship with a group and keeping those relationships smooth. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm not interested in a whole lot of change. Not really great for leadership, right? Okay. But great for helping teams be cohesive helping groups of people stay to come together, stay together. There can Mm -hmm. be some really nice benefits there. Next stage is kind of a differentiation stage, expert, skill centric. Um, I now want to differentiate from the group. I want to have my own voice. I want to have my own expertise. I want to solve my own problems. This is a, this is the most common stage of adult development. About 40% of the adult population has the center of gravity here in experts. So we experts are all over the place. I put a lot of stock in what I know and the problems that I can solve. Tons and tons of value inside organizations, especially at the individual contributor level where we need to solve problems and get work done. Not as strong for teamwork, because if I think I'm the smartest person in the room, I don't necessarily think that you have a lot to offer and not well correlated to leadership, right? Because I'm I'm not really getting things done through other people or with other people quite yet. When you refer to the percentages of adults, is that a, a global representation or is that a, is that U.S. Repre- representation? It might depend on the research. Glo- uh, yeah, so I think the numbers will shift a little bit depending on whose research you are looking at. And all the research, of course, has some, you know, a little bit of built-in bias. But I think these are generally accepted, roughly accurate global, global numbers. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah. we have the expert, 
with 14 the expert, right? So yeah. then I realize the limitation of me being the smartest person in the room is that I actually don't necessarily get, I can't get it all done by myself. I can't actually get the outcomes that I want if I'm a solo actor. Mm. And so I'm invited developmentally into the achiever stage. Achiever, um, self-determining, performing is another name for this stage. And the idea here is that teamwork comes online because I realize I actually can get more done if I leverage other people or work with other people. I believe the answer can be found. I may not have the answer, but I believe we can find the answer. So it's a very rationale based, very scientific method. There is an answer, we're gonna find it. We can do the thing. So there's very much a sense of, I can architect my world. I can control the outcomes. Often achievers will take more responsibility than they should for the way things are. That is a very common limitation of this stage that we see in corporate America. I run, run, run really hard. I work really hard. I think I can control all of it and bend it to my will. And so we will see burnout. We'll see taking too much responsibility. Those are a couple of the limitations of this stage. But this is also the first stage where managerial capability really comes online, right? So, and corporate America, and I would say probably Western business culture, this is the stage that is most valued because it is a highly productive stage, highly productive stage. And it is collaborative. It is teamwork oriented. This is about 30, 35% of the adult population. We have a lot of people here too, but not as many as experts about 30%. So we see this everywhere, right? So almost all of us can identify with expert and achiever and almost all of us can easily look around to people we know and love and be like, yep, I see that in you. Totally. The next shift is quite big. So from really group centric to achiever or um, conformer or diplomat to achiever or what we call the conventional stages of meaning making, I think we call... um, I think I'm pretty sure opportunist is in pre-conventional. What happens is between achiever and the next stage is that we shift not only from achiever to self-questioning or individualist or catalyst or redefining or some of the stage names there, but we also go from conventional to post-conventional thinking. And this is a very, this might be the most significant developmental shift that we know about right now or that is in this model. And the analogy that I use to describe this with clients is that when I'm in a conventional stages, when I'm in those earlier stages, I imagine that there is a board table with all of the stakeholders of your life around that table, friends, family, boss, you know, whatever societal influences, all the, all the stuff is around the table. You're there too, but you're sitting on the side and you are hoping beyond hope. You want to hear from everybody and you're hoping that there are not really any conflicts or contradictions in what they are telling you to do because you're not yet at a place where you can really navigate that. Mm -hmm. And so in conventional thinking, we call that outside in thinking. I really, I really kind of just take on what the outside is telling me to do. And I accept that and adopt that as what I should do. When you move to post-conventional, when you move from achiever to redefining you stand up from your seat at the table on the side and you move around to the head of the table and you park yourself there. All of those stakeholders are still there and you still want to hear from them, but you are now able to put some space between what they say and what you do. Or that is really the work of the stage is to begin to put some space in between what they say and what you do. So this is can be a very uh, disconcerting stage because essentially we're looking around at everything we've done and the way we've lived our lives up to this point and going, wait a minute, I don't know that I like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I agree with this. I don't know that this is who I really am. And so it is a disaggregating stage where many, many people take apart things that they have been building up to that point. I joke that this is sort of what we call the midlife crisis in mm. popular culture, right? This is this is a developmental move behind the potentially the myth, the midlife crisis. It doesn't necessarily happen in midlife, but uh, this is the stage of really climbing into all of the perspectives that are available, believing that there is value in in everything that is out there, um, and really reflecting on one's own values and and beginning to line your life up in accordance with those values. And that is some really 
hard work. Very hard. This is a great place. A lot of people will come to coaching during this time. This is a great place to be receiving coaching. It is where I was when I first took the map. I was stuck in Achiever and was being invited to climb, to, to grow, right? I needed to grow. And so uh, that is a very significant developmental move. Very significant and can take a long time. I could you imagine, know. and you are the expert, so correct me if I'm wrong, that some really fundamental uh, questions will be brought up there. As you said, right, it's like midlife crisis, uh, confidence questions. Am I good enough? Um, enoughness in general, perhaps. Opinions of others, perhaps, as well. Um, you know, all, all of these things we may be struggling with in, in that moment. Yeah, you'll hear clients simultaneously get really in touch with what they feel and what they want. And then in the very next sentence, they'll talk about their spouse or their parents mm -hmm. or their boss or, you know, um, and so you're really wrestling with what other people expect of me at this mm -hmm. stage and what I very deeply and, and becoming more aware of what I want mm -hmm. and what is going to make me feel whole. That is a big tension. There's also a lot of like, I, why do we do it that way? That's stupid. And so from an organizational perspective, often there becomes a lot of tension between people at this stage and people at Achiever because Achiever people are ex accepting still of the rules and the constraints and the way we do things around here. And people at redefining are saying, yeah, the way we do things around here is dumb. And we should, we should change it. And so there's this, <laughs> there can be a lot of tension between those early post-conventional people and the late conventional thinkers. Yeah. Um, and so there is often a lot of organizational tension and unhappiness <laughs> for uh, people at this, at this first post-conventional stage. And that's where really where the value of coaches, external supports can play a huge role um, to support the people through that because my initial reaction was like oh that sounds exciting but I was in the coach position as an as an individual who is unhappy in that place and doesn't quite know how to get through it really yeah. really challenging yeah and there are questions around can I stay here do I want to mm -hmm. stay here if I go do something else what would that be I'm not sure what I want to do there's also this because there's so much running and so much activity at Achiever, there is this sense of wanting to rest and slow down and just be. So this distinction around being and doing becomes very alive at this stage. Whereas before it's been doing, 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 doing. And now it's like, wait a minute, I'm never going to finish that to-do list. Am I going to live my life this way? Maybe I don't want to. And so people are beginning to experiment with having free time if they can, or taking up yoga or, you know, not committing to something or letting things fit. Um, there is this whole experimentation with how can I be with my work and my obligations in a different way than I have been. I'm getting back into the exciting space. Here we go. <laughs> But there are two yeah. more stages that Yeah, so we don't, to, I, right? we don't really know what the end stage of human development is. That said, the next stage <laughs> is called strategist or self-transforming. This is the stage that is most highly correlated right now with that achieving and sustaining transformational change. This is the stage that is sort of held up as the uh, destination stage, if you will, for people who really want to do big leadership stuff. I would say, oh, at, at redefining uh, self-questioning, that's about 20% of the adult population crosses over into that space. Only about 5% go to strategists. And really, it's like less than 1% of the adult population after that. So at strategist, things kind of come back together again. All of that disconcerting uh, stuff uh, from the previous stage begins to get resolved. And the strategist sort of finds their footing again. Some of that energy for doing comes back, although it is more intentional and more strategic and bigger. It's bigger thinking at this stage. There is very much an egalitarianism of perspective at redefining that starts to ebb again at strategists. So there, it, there starts to be more of a taking a stand around perspectives that have more value or are more correct than other perspectives. And, and so you will see people at strategists 
it, it's not held the same way as it is, say, an expert where I'm the smartest person in the room and nobody else knows anything. It is more inclusive. It is broader, but it is there will become more of a stance around this is this is the principle or this is the way to go. And here's why. Yeah. So it actually can look a little bit like achiever or um, a look a little bit like expert where there's much, there's more intentionality and maybe less sort of um, feeling uncentered, but it is, it's bigger and it is operating at, on a bigger plane. And so they're able to see, this is really where people can see more complexity and navigate more effectively through it. They're able to hold those multiple perspectives. They're able to reflect on their thinking and their behavior and make adjustments. They're able to hold opposing points of view. So it's really at this stage that all of those capabilities come online in, in, a, in a much fuller, more robust way and, and are yielding benefit for that person and the systems that they're in, if that makes sense. There's so much meaty work in those stages. I'm, I'm grasping what you were saying all along in the beginning when we started chatting here uh, on this show in, in terms of the map you have right in front of you and now supporting the people moving to their stages that they want to get to. I think that's highly individual as well. Not everybody might want to step into the strategist stage, for example. For, yeah, for right. sure. So, so this is something I haven't said yet that is very important to say. The key question here is what is the fit between what you are being asked to do in your work and in your life and where you are on the journey? Is there appropriate challenge? Is it too much? Is it too little? But what is the fit? It's not so many people will look at this model and say, oh, well, obviously I want to be a strategist or obviously I want to be at Unitive, which is the one after this. Um, obviously, I just want to get to the end, <laughs> right? I just want, that's actually indicative of sort of the achiever thinking right there, right? That's why so many of us look at it and go, oh, that's where I want to be. I want to achieve, I want to achieve vertical development. Um, so we kind of have a good chuckle about that because your reaction to the model often is an indicator of where you are developmentally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we don't want it to be hierarchical. There are advantages and limitations to every single developmental stage, right? So strategist is not all that and a bag of chips all the time. Mm -hmm. So as you get to these later developmental stages, because there are so few people there, it can be lonely. It can be isolating. It can be disconnecting. It also can be uh, somewhat ineffective because other people don't really get you and don't yeah. really get how you're thinking. And so it is not a panacea necessarily to become more vertically developed. And that's, so we really want the question to be, what is the fit? How comfortable are you? How supported do you feel? Do you want to grow right now? Do you not want to grow right now? What do you need to do to support yourself where you are and what you want to see have happen? What is being asked of you? That's really where the good questions are. It's not just how do you, how do you get to the end of the Candyland board? <laughs> well, as you highlighted a few times, there is no end. That's the thing. Right. We yeah, don't we know don't, how yeah. many stages there are and what the end stage look, looks like if there is an end stage. Right. If you were to give one key top tip to leaders in this world, what would be this one top tip? Well, I, I think that this model offers so much in terms of how to think about our own development and the development of the people that we are leading. It changes your mindset around it. It changes how you think about it, how you approach it. It tells a different story. To me, it's a, it's a, a more useful story. And so my one tip would be just to become aware of this and to start to explore it and ask what the potential utility might be for you and your organization. This is still, it's a psychological construct, right? So it's not, it wasn't born in the leadership development space. That's, that's what is happening now is that it is coming into organizations where we're finding that there is a lot of utility and a lot of relevancy. And so I think there's an opportunity for leaders and organizations to become aware of it. That's kind of where we're at is to become aware of this 
idea and begin to play with it. What a beautiful finish of this episode. Begin to play with it, or as I always say, experiment with it. You know, approach it in a more playful way if you wish as well. So where can people find out more about you and the Sparks Group? Oh, yeah. www.sparksgrp.com is our website, S-P-A-R-K-S-G-R-P.com. I'm also on LinkedIn at Jessica Bronzert. Uh, feel free to connect with me. But yeah, we um, are a lovely, I think, lovely group of people who are deeply seasoned in this space and many others. Um, and we would be delighted to be in dialogue with anybody who is interested. And perhaps you want to contact Jessica and her team to map out your plan and um, together assess where you are and where you want to get to and what the best fit is. We hope, uh, really, really hope that this brief conversation made you think, made you think about your fit and where you currently are, how it is feeling for you and what support you may want in your life to get to whatever the next stage looks like for you. And whatever the next stage really represents as your personal fit. So have the conversation, contact Jessica and explore. So thank you so much for listening. It's been a joy. And thank you so much, Jessica, for being a wonderful guest on this show. Uh, thank you, Kathleen. Have a great uh, rest of the week and speak to you again very soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.